Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture um, that's one of those passages that what it is saying is not popular today, um, especially in our culture today. Uh, in fact, as, as we read it, um, just at face value, many of us would probably say, well, I just, I'm not too sure about this. I don't know that I would agree with this, or I would agree with this instruction um, to these people. And so, so what is the topic that we're talking about today? And that topic is slavery. Um, and so in, in our passage today in Colossians, uh, or in Colossians 3, if you want to turn there, um, if you're new to Potter's House, this is what we do. We kind of, we'll take a book of the Bible at a time. We'll work through it verse by verse. And uh, so it's, it's always just next up on uh, what's the next passage. That's what I preach the next week. Uh, makes it easier for me to know where I'm going. Um, but also it, it helps us to make sure that we cover the harder topics in Scripture. Um, because if it were just up to me, I probably would just skip over this, this one and move right along. Um, but it is God's Word, and I think God has a purpose uh, for it being in here. And I think there's definitely very important life lessons we can learn from this passage today that do apply to us. Um, but before we get to that, we do have to, to deal with this issue of what is, um, what is it talking about? Um, and if you look at the first word of verse 22, um, in my translation, ESV, uh, they go with the word bond servants there. Um, if you have, uh, especially an older translation, um, I think King James probably still goes with slaves, um, as the translation for the word there. Um, and so, uh, and honestly, uh, from the Greek, uh, the word is doulos, and it can be translated as either, okay? Um, and so for those that want to um, kind of make, make this passage a lot easier, which is if you read the preface to the ESV, they actually have a section where they explain why they're translating this word this way. Um, but if, if that's your goal is just to make this passage easier for us to handle in our culture, I think we need to be realistic about what it is actually talking about and what it did mean when it was written to the people that it was written to. So what did doulos, who were the doulos in the culture where Paul was writing to the Colossians? Well, it's, it's interesting to note that uh, it's estimated that 50% of people um, were doulos in this culture. Like half of the population um, were doulos. Um, so what, what did that mean? Um, some, a, a large percentage of those in, in, this, in the Greek-Roman times were people that were more of a bondservant. What do we mean by that? A bondservant was somebody that they, they entered into agreement by their own volition uh, for the sake of bettering their life, okay? Um, so, for instance, uh, they would be somebody that was heaped in debt. They didn't have a way to pay their debt. Um, so they would go to a wealthy person um, and, and tell that person, like, hey, I will be your doulos, 
or your bond servant. Um, I'll agree to do this for seven years was the normal term. Um, and for these seven years, I will work for you. I will serve you. I will serve your household. I will take care of you. And then in return, you're going to pay my debts for me. Okay. Uh, you're going to provide a roof over my head. You're going to provide me with food to eat. My family, you're, you're going to take care of. Um, and, and in return, I work for you for these seven years. I'm your, your doulos. Okay. Um, and that was a large percentage. And, and honestly, in that kind of, in that culture and in that setting, I don't know about you, but seven years and get your mortgage paid off. Like that might be a good work arrangement, right? Like might be worth it. Um, but, uh, and so, so that was, that was one form of doulos. And, and for, for Christians today, that's the form that's easier for us to accept that, okay, they, these are the people Paul is talking to. He's telling them, hey, if you've entered into this kind of agreement, you need to honor your agreement. You need to work hard. You need to do, do this kind of stuff and everything. Um, and so that one's, that one's easy for us. But the truth is, is that also in this culture, there were people who were doulos or slaves um, who were conquered in battle uh, and were put into slavery for the rest of their life. Um, there were doulos that were born to slaves um, who grew up as slaves and stayed as slaves. Um, and so both existed in this culture and in this time, and both would be applied to by this word. And so I don't think we get the luxury of just having an easy out um, around this uh, just by understanding it as the one kind versus the other kind, okay? Um, and you say, well, Wayne, why are you going into all this? I'm going into this because this is one of the major topics that people will want to throw at you who do not believe in the Bible. This is one of the major topics that they'll bring up and say, see, look, the Bible says slavery is okay, and slavery is obviously not okay. We know that in our modern culture. And so therefore, the Bible is antiquated, it's outdated, and you can't trust it. Anybody heard that before? Yeah. And so how do we as Christians approach these passages um, that do talk about this thing? That talk about what was, was going on here? Um, and if we're honest, we really wish that Paul would say, um, slaves, overthrow your masters. Find your freedom. And in fact, in other passages, I say, if you're able to acquire your freedom, acquire it. That's in there. I think that one's in Corinthians. And that's what we wish that the emphasis of the New Testament writers would be, but it's not their emphasis. Um, when we come to Paul and Peter especially, they give very specific instructions relating to like, like we will see in our passage today, of this is what, what it looks like. This is how we should um, conduct ourselves as Christians within this cultural norm that we find ourselves in of doulos. And so, so as he's, he's engaging these things, what we see is that he doesn't try to overthrow the societal norm that involves at least half of people in the society. Instead, what he focuses on is the gospel. We don't see at Paul and Peter with, with their goal being social reformers, but instead we see their goal being gospel proclaimers. And, and you say, well, okay, Wayne, that's great, but 
Um, I don't know if that's enough. I'll tell you this. I firmly believe that we would not have the view that we hold today as a culture relating to slavery if it were not for the gospel foundation that these men laid. Our culture would not have adjusted and come to the place that we are today if it had not been for Christian voices. Um, One such voice was a man named John Newton. Uh, John Newton um, was a, a slave trader. Uh, He was a captain of a ship that would sail around the coast of Africa looking for for people that he could capture and enslave. And then John Newton came to faith in Jesus. He came to know the gospel in his life. In In his words, he was a wretch, but then he was found. He was lost, but then he was found. All by God's amazing grace. And so we better know John Newton not as the slave trader, but as the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So when we sing that song, we think of our own wretchedness, right? We think of our own sin. And that that's what Jesus saved us from and made us new from and redeemed us from. And we celebrate him and his amazing grace. And that song resonates with all of us. All of us who are Christians. All of us who have experienced that amazing grace. But for John Newton, I think when he wrote that song, when he looked back on his wretchedness, he looked back on those days where he enslaved others, where he treated others horribly where he did things that we, we wouldn't even imagine doing to another human being. And he looked back on that, and he said, it's the amazing grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved me and redeemed me from this, from what I was. And his life goes on. After coming to faith in Jesus, he later became a pastor. And then as a pastor in Great Britain, he became an integral part of the abolitionist movement. He became one who would, he was very, he wrote a pamphlet that he sent to all of the MPs and, and it actually became very popular throughout Great Britain, laying out the atrocities of the slave trade. Things that, that they would, people would want to kind of look over or not think about what would happen. He put it right in their face and he said, this is the thing that we're letting happen. This is the evil which exists. I know because this was me. And he became a major, major person in the abolitionist movement. He was a a co-worker with William Wilberforce. And it's because of the work of, of these men that the slave trade through Great Britain, which was the main vehicle for enslaving people and moving them throughout the world, was shut down. It was shut, shut down and stopped because of these men. What was the foundation on which they said we must do this? The gospel. The fact of what Jesus has done for us. So while we might look at these passages in the Bible and we want them to go that step further, the step further um, that uh, John Newton and, and William Wilberforce took, we want, we want the scriptures to go to that same place right off the bat. 
I believe we would not be in that place if it, if it were not for where the scriptures started the conversation. And so, let's jump in. Let's see what it is that Paul actually says here. That was the introduction for today. So, Colossians 3, starting in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And so you can see how a passage like this during the days of slavery that we think about when we think about slavery and the atrocities that happen, a passage like this could be thrown up against slaves and say, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. You can see how that can be abused. You can see how that could be be taken in a harsh way and used for evil instead of for good. But in reality, I think what, what Paul is doing here is he's instructing, because so many, I think so many of the early Christians actually were doulos of some form. Many of them probably the bond servants that ESV translates it as here. In this, this certain term period of their life where they've gone into an agreement um, to, to work for this person for this amount of time to have their needs met and have things taken care of for them. And he's saying, hey, you entered into this agreement, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. Don't just do it to look good. Don't be a people pleaser. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Work with a work ethic that is honoring to the Lord. And as I said, I think that what we see in Scripture actually laid the foundation for the abolitionist movement and and has brought us to where we are today. Um, But Galatians 3.28, again, I'll, I'll cite this one. I cited it last week. I'll cite it again this week. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul makes it clear that when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the kingdom of God, that slave and free are the same before Jesus, that there is no difference. In fact, uh, Scripture uses this word to talk about us as Christians. Um, I love the the song we just sang, um, but I I challenge our our worship leaders to to rewrite it I'm no longer a slave of fear. What if we said, I'm no longer a slave to sin? Because that's what scripture talks about, that before we're slaves to sin. We're, we're, that's who we are. That's what we're born into. And scripture uses the, the language of slavery to describe how much we're entangled to that, how we are tied to that, but then we're set free. And in our freedom, we get to be slaves to righteousness and slaves to Jesus. Is the way scripture will talk about these things. And so when it comes to the gospel and our standing in the kingdom of God, there's neither slave nor free. We're all the same before him. We're all there to be his servant. And so I think Paul's view here is that that our eternal status has changed. And so we should live like it, even if our earthly situation has not changed. 
So when you come to Christ, then it should affect the way the rest of your life should look. But Paul doesn't just leave it with instructions towards the doulos, but he also goes on in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So he goes after the bosses as well, and he says, Hey, yeah, you guys, you got you to gotta keep your end of the deal. You got to be just and fair and treat your people honorably, those that are working for you. And so what do we see from this? Here's, here's my take. While scripture does not outright condemn slavery, it does establish guardrails against abuse of slavery and lays the foundation for getting rid of slavery. What I see in scripture when it comes to this issue. Now, I don't know about you, but my guess, looking at this room and knowing where we live, um, instructions about how to live as a slave or how to treat your slaves is probably not an issue you have dealt with in the last week. <laughs> you, you probably have not, did not come to church this morning saying, man, I really hope I get good instruction about how to treat my master. Right? I don't think you came here saying, man, I really need to know how to, to treat my, my bond servants who work for me. Um, so I know that that's probably not our daily struggle. But when you understand the biblical principle and the theme that Paul is expressing here, it 100% relates to every one of us on a daily basis. Let's look at what he said again in, in verse 23. I think this applies to all of us as Christians. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So if you have a job, you do your best because you're doing it for the Lord. If you're a student, you do your best because you're doing it for the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as if you're working for the Lord. And I'll tell you, this has had this principle, this biblical principle has had a tremendous impact in the world that we live in. So much so that, that as people look back um, over history um, to a major change that happened in the workforce and in the work ethic and those kind of things, um, they look at it and they call it the Protestant work ethic that comes out of this biblical principle. And it's, it's this idea that, hey, when I'm working, I'm going to work as if God is my audience. He's the one that I'm working for. He's the one that I will give credit to and honor to with the work that I do. And so, let me ask you, if this is your attitude relating to your work or your school, would it change how you approach things? Maybe, maybe you just try to punch the clock and get the time in and go home and do what you want to do then. But how does it change if you see as the one that you're working for is Jesus Christ himself? That my work, what I'm doing, my output, my production uh, for the boss, for the company, it ultimately goes as if I'm representing Jesus in my workplace. That's a big change. 
That's a big difference when you start to think about it that way. You have a different attitude. But also this can be used to promote an unhealthy work ethic as well. Where work is our only goal, it takes over our lives, it monopolizes everything about us. So much so that we don't also have a healthy balance where we take time to rest. Where we take time for our family. Where we take time for our own health. And I think if you're working as if working for the Lord, then that means that you're going to, yes, when it's work time, you work. But also the Lord made it clear that we need rest time as well, and we need that time with him. And so we make sure that we do that as well, too. So Christians should see Jesus as the recipient of their work. This is how we should view these things. But also there's another application here as well that translates through to us, and that's in chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And that applies to us in that, yes, if any of us are our bosses, employers, those who have people who work under us, are we treating them justly and fairly? Are we making sure that they're taken care of? Because just as, as we are the boss over them, ultimately we have a master in heaven. And we're going to be responsible to him. And I'll take this principle and apply it even one step further. I would propose that all of us have people who serve us. If you go to a restaurant, there are doulos there who serve you. If you order, skip the dishes. There is someone who is serving you. If you take your garbage can to the street and then it magically has all of the garbage disappear in it, it is because someone is serving you. We live in a society and culture that is all built upon this idea of service for one another, this mutual service. And so in that sense, we all, every single one of us, even if you have one of the jobs I just listed, it still applies to you. You are a master in certain situations and in certain interactions. And in those, I encourage you to treat those people justly and fairly. Represent Christ as you interact in those situations. Christians should treat those who serve them justly and fairly. I've seen it happen where there would be uh, someone who kind of, I don't, none of you guys, okay? None of you guys, but other people I've heard of. um, (laughs) Where they would come to church and they would kind of be one person at church, but then out in the world in their business or in their business dealings, they would be quite a different person. Uh, Someone who would lie still and cheat and do whatever they could just to make another buck. And what scripture is saying here is, hey, treat people fairly, justly and fairly. Don't Christians, we should not be those who are, are trying to swindle someone else. When it comes to Uh, this issue of um, Christians and work and how you treat people and everything. For me, one of the greatest examples in my life was uh, my grandfather. 
Um, he was a hardworking man. Um, he worked hard his whole life. Um, he grew up uh, on a farm. Uh, my great-grandfather was a pastor uh, who would travel uh, to different uh, churches throughout the region. And at that time, he was traveling by horseback. Um, and so to go preach at a church, he would have to leave a day before um, to travel there, and he would get back a day later. And so my grandfather, as the youngest son, um, had the responsibility of tending the farm while his dad was gone. And so from an early age, he, he learned a, a good hard work ethic. He learned to take care of things. And, and uh, I remember when I, uh, when I first started working as a teenager, I was in the same town where my grandfather lived and where he had worked. And um, this guy came into the store where I was working and he he, uh, we were chatting and found out that, that he had worked with my grandfather. And uh, he said, oh, man, your granddad, he's crazy. And I was like, oh, yeah? He, he said, yeah. I remember my first day at work. I was just there trying to figure out what was going on. And this man, he was running around everywhere, and he was jumping over tables. And, and I just didn't know what that guy was doing. He was crazy. Um, and so I asked my granddad about it later. And uh, he worked as kind of a manager uh, for uh, a plant, and they assembled lighting fixtures. And so they would have a long assembly line going down a table, and as, as the supervisor, his job was to make sure that everybody had their parts and everything that they needed, and he would get it to them and make sure everybody was taken care of. And so he told me, he's like, yeah, I figured out not very long in that it would take me a lot longer to go all the way around that long table to get to the other side than it would just to jump over it, so <laughs> I'd just run and jump over it. Um, and, uh, and so that was what he was known at. He, he was a hard worker and he, he told me, he said, yeah, once they put me in charge over that line, our productivity went up a good bit. Um, because instead of walking around the table, he was jumping over the table. Um, that probably was not work safe approved, um, or in the States, OSHA, I think would be what it's called. But, um, but yeah, and so that was kind of his, his work ethic and, and how he approached a life, and uh, and I think that really went back to his faith in Jesus as well, um, because um, at the end of the day, I don't think he really cared that if his company made three extra fixtures that night just for their sake. But as somebody who is working for, as if working for the Lord, he wanted to bring glory to God through his work. Um, but also in treating people fairly and justly, I saw this with my own eyes. Uh, later on in life, uh, I, I mainly knew him after he had retired. And in his retirement, uh, the thing that he did was he um, raised weird animals. Okay, like, yeah, just weird animals. And he would sell them at a flea market. Um, and so it was always fun as a kid getting to go to granddad's house. I actually, as a kid, would be very bored going to a petting zoo um, because granddad's house was way better. Um, like he just had more stuff and it was weird stuff. And yeah, so peacocks, um, were, yeah, he had a lot of peacocks of different kinds. And yeah, if you never heard a peacock in the middle of the night, um, when it's dark outside and you don't know it's there, it will, it'll wake you up. Um, but, uh, yeah, as a kid that was growing up at going to granddad's house, you'd hear peacocks all the time. And, and, uh, and so very fond memories of that. But one of the things I do remember is he would, as he would go to the flea market, um, he also had in his yard all these, now this is a test, okay? So you guys tell me how you say this word. I say pecan. Any pecan people? There's some pecaners. So 
What, what, other, what other pronunciations do we have? Anything? Anybody have no idea what I'm talking about? Small nut, okay? It's, it comes in a, in a shell. You crack it open, tastes delicious, all right? Um, but he had pecan trees in his yard, um, and, and every year, like we would pick up a few just to eat as the family and that kind of stuff, but mainly um, they would either just get run over by a lawnmower or the squirrels would eat them. And I remember one year, uh, either one of my aunts or my mom, I'm not sure who, asked him, said, why don't, why don't we pick up the pecans and you go sell them at the flea market with you, right? Like people would buy them. And his response was, he's like, you know, I don't know if every pecan in those shells is good. He's like, some of them are, are probably bad, and which was true when we would crack them and eat them for ourselves. Like his, some of them weren't, they wouldn't be fully formed in there. They'd be all dried up and you just throw that one away and go on to the next one. And so his response was, I don't want to sell somebody something that I don't know is good. Why? Because he wanted to pe- treat people justly and fairly. And, uh, and that was his outlook. That was his view on life. Like, yeah, can I make a few bucks? Sure. But instead, I'd rather treat people justly and fairly. And I think that's, that's what the gospel does to us. And I think that went along with his ministry there at the flea market. Because the other thing I remember about going with granddad to the flea market was every, every Sunday, he was an in- integral part of making sure there was a church service that happened at this flea market. Um, and as I would go with granddad to the flea market, he would walk down the aisles of all the vendors um, and uh, invite everybody and say, hey, going down to the church service, you should come. Hey, come down to the church service, you could come. Now, honestly, most of them did not come. But I remember as a kid noticing that the way that they looked at my granddad, because of the way that he had dealt with them on the street as a vendor, with honor and respect, they respected him. And so because of that respect, when he invited them, hey, come hear the gospel, there was an extra level of validation there. There wasn't a sense of, dude, you cheated me out last month. No way I'm coming with you down there to the church thing, right? And I think that should apply to all of us when it comes to our business dealings, whatever they may be. Whether that's how we fill up our gas, how we treat somebody at a restaurant, how we treat our garbage man, whatever it might be. We should treat people with love and respect justly and fairly. Because when we do that, it brings validity to the gospel message which we have been entrusted with as Christians. And what is that message? It's the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, died on a cross, paying the punishment for sin, rose again three days later and ascended into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father and from where he will return. We've been entrusted with that message And what a shame if someone will not hear that message from us because we cheated them out of a few bucks. But what validity it gives to that message when they see us treat them justly and fairly. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that that we will be people who follow you in love and truth. Lord, I thank you for your instructions to us about how we should approach work. I thank you that we get to work as if working for you and bringing you glory and honor. 
Lord, I thank you that you, you entrust us with the opportunity to treat others justly and fairly. Thank you most of all for your good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And for those like Paul and Peter who proclaim this message that has come down through time to us, that we get to celebrate your amazing grace in our lives. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel-